It's good to see you all this morning. My name's Steve. I'm one of the part of the governing body, one of the leaders here at the church. And uh, it's good to have you here fellowshiping with us if you're new and if you're watching online as well. It's great to, to have you with us and being part of us. We're going to uh, read the Bible together in just a moment. We're going to read 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 12. And we're continuing this morning on our series on tuning in, tuning into God. And this morning we're looking at tuning into God for others on behalf of those around us. So if you have your Bibles, you have to excuse the, uh, it might be a bit of an eye test that. So for the people that are on the first three rows, they can follow along. For the rest of you, you'll just have to listen to me. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 12. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in their tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is distinction in the notes. Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Thanks, Neil. So here we have Paul talking to the church about prophecy, essentially about tuning in to God on behalf of others. But in order to understand what Paul is really saying here, we need to go back maybe a couple of chapters because Paul starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12, and we have 12, 13, and then 14 that we've just read together. But it's also helpful whenever we read scripture for us to understand who the original recipients of the scriptures were. So Paul is writing to a church in the town of Corinth. Corinth is a Greek city. Again, my text is probably far too small for you to read there, so I'll let you know what's going on. Corinth was an important Greek city. I could say anything now. Corinth was an important Greek city, and it had over half a million people in the city at the time this letter was written. So it was a big, bustling, important, busy city. And the key to Corinth's success, the key and the reason it was such an important city, was it sat on the crossroads of trade routes. You'll see on there, you can probably just about make out, there's two blue blobs, which is the sea, and then by Corinth there's a strip of narrow land that divides the two seas. So any ships wanting to travel east to west would be blocked by that land or they'd have to go all the way around the big landmass. And so what the people of Corinth did is they built a harbour to the east and to the west. So if you were transporting goods from the east, you'd dock at the harbour and then your goods were transported over that strip of land 
into a boat on the other side and you could carry on on your journey. If you had a small ship, they would actually push the entire ship over that stretch of land. And then goods that were landed in Corinth could also be sent over land north to south. So it was right at the center of a crossroads of trade, east to west and north to south. Because there was a constant flow of goods coming from Egypt and Italy and Spain, all flowing through the city of Corinth, with those goods came a mixture of people, different cultures, different ethnicities, different religions. And so Corinth was really a sort of melting pot of all these different cultures and religions and experiences. It also had another name. It's referred to as Sin City because it was known for its immorality. In fact, the word Corinth to Corinthianize became a byword for immorality, for sexual immorality. It was kind of a bit of a party town. It was one with those sort of cities, you went there to satisfy your own needs and desires. It was about what you wanted, satisfying your needs and desires. And it's in this city that we find this small group of people that Paul is writing to. And if you read the first few chapters of Corinthians, you see that they had all sorts of issues and problems that Paul was writing to help them resolve. Paul is really writing to them to try and break into their thinking, try and change the culture that they had in the church because they're constantly drawn between the culture of the world, which was do what I want, satisfy my own needs and desires, and then what we know is the culture that we want in the kingdom of God. And so Paul is writing to them to try and break into their thinking and help them along the way of what it means to be followers of Jesus. And so in chapter 12 is when Paul starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And he says, I'm coming to talk to you about the gifts of the Spirit because I don't want you to be ignorant. You eagerly desire them, but I don't want you to be ignorant in your understanding of them. And so Paul starts talking about the different gifts of the Spirit. But it's a very, very famous chapter. It's a chapter where Paul starts and likens the body of Christ to a human body. And he starts saying, you're actually all different parts. You've all got different roles to play. But you're connected and you're joined together as part of the body of Christ. Paul is already challenging the cultural thinking, the culture that they live in, where it's about me and satisfying me. And Paul is saying, as followers of Jesus, you're actually connected and you're part of something bigger. He actually says the, in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Paul was saying that actually there is an interdependence between them as part of the body of the Christ. They, I need you and you need me. And there's a responsibility and an interdependence on that. We have a responsibility to each other. Neil has said a few times recently that Christianity was never designed to be a solo event. It was always meant to be a team activity. And Paul starts with talking about the gifts of the Spirit. He starts by pointing out to them that they are connected and they have a responsibility towards one another. He then rolls over into chapter 13, which is an even more famous chapter in the Bible. In a building like this, this chapter's probably been read time and time again. It's the chapter that starts, If I speak with tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging singer. Paul goes on to talk about the love that they have for one another. Paul's told them that they, in chapter 12 that they're interdependent on each other. They have a responsibility to each other. But actually it goes more than just a sense of duty. More than just caring for another because they have to. He talks about a deep love connection between the people of God. 
that shapes the way they deal with each other. In verse 4, he says of chapter 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. Paul has started by telling them that they join together and they have a responsibility to each other. To each other. He then says it's actually even more than just a sense of duty. There's a love and a connection. A protect, you want to protect each other. You want to care for each other. You want to build each other up. And once he's laid that foundation, once he's told them that the kingdom of God is different to the culture in the world, then we arrive back where we started. My clicker doesn't want to play. There we are. Back where we started at chapter 14 where Paul talks about prophecy. But even then, he starts by saying, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Paul starts this sentence on prophecy by saying, remember what I've just told you. Remember about your interdependence. Remember about the connectivity. Remember about the way you're going to treat each other in love. And then eagerly desire prophecy. Julian spoke about prophecy about six months ago here. If you never saw it, it's still on YouTube and you can see uh, him talk about the need for prophets and prophecy. And when he was speaking, Julian quoted, uh, had a quote from David Watson who, describing prophecy, said it's a particular word inspired by God to a particular person or group of persons at a particular moment for a particular purpose. I'll read that again. A particular word inspired by God to a particular person or group of persons at a particular moment for a particular person. It's described that prophecy is about what is God saying to us now? What is God saying to you in the situation that you find yourself in? What is the now word of God? And so Paul starts then talking to the Corinthian church about prophecy and desiring the gift of prophecy. And all the way through, it's kind of a two-pronged approach. He's talking about Speaking in tongues, and he's talking about prophecy. We kind of get the idea, really, from the way Paul phrases things, that there was a lot of speaking in tongues going on, but maybe not so much prophecy. And in contrasting tongues and prophecy, we see the same theme again of the last two chapters of the self, the individual, and the body of Christ. And Paul says that when you pray in tongues, the one who speaks in tongues edifies himself. It builds him up. Neil talked last week about the gift of tongues, that it's, in one sense, the the kind of purest sense of praise and prayer. It allows us to connect to God without our mind getting in the way. You know what it means for your mind to get in the way? We pray and we start our prayer by saying, God, there's this situation and I bring it to you and you know the beginning from the end and you see the big picture and I give this problem to you. And then we spend the next five minutes praying that, God, all you need to do is if you just do this, God, and if you did this and he says this, then it will sort it out. Our mind gets in the way when we pray sometimes or when we praise. And so Paul says it's good to speak in tongues. It's good because the one who speaks edifies himself. It brings a closeness in our relationship with God, that personal, intimate relationship with God. But Paul also says when you come together, your responsibility isn't just for you. It's not just about your personal relationship with God. It's good that you speak in tongues. It's good you get that closeness with God in your personal relationship. But out of that should flow something to the people that God has placed you 
alongside the people that you've been joined to. And he goes on to say, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Again, the idea of prophecy follows on from what Paul has said about us being one body, one community, supporting one another, loving and caring for one another. And when we're prepared to tune in and listen to what God has to say, not just to us, but on behalf of those around us, it strengthens, it encourages, and it comforts. So we see really clearly that Paul encourages the people in the Corinthian church, and he would encourage us to tune into God on behalf of those around us. But it kind of leaves me with two questions. I get all that, and we understand all that. But firstly, why do I have to tune into God for you? Because we spent a month here looking that we can all hear for God from ourselves through reading the word, through circumstances, through, through situations, through nature. So why is Paul so adamant that there's a role to be played in tuning in for one another? And secondly, if Paul says it's so important, why wasn't it happening in the Corinthian church that Paul felt he needed to talk to them about it? Or maybe it would be fairer, why wasn't it happening enough? I think we'd all say that we want to hear from God as much as possible. We want to hear that now word from God to us. So why does Paul encourage them to listen to God on behalf of those around them? Well, we started by saying that Corinth was a busy town, a bustling town. It was a town that would seek to pull them away from their path of following Jesus. And who knows that when you're in a situation where you really want to follow God, but the circumstances and situations in your life tend to be a pull in the other direction. In life, we end up dealing with circumstances or situations that create such a noise in our head, that create such a background hum of stress and emotion, that sometimes it feels the time when we most need to hear God's voice seems to be the hardest time possible to hear what he's saying to us. Sometimes the background noise in our lives, it doesn't stop God speaking to us, but it affects our ability to tune in and hear his voice. And Paul says you've been placed in a, in a, in a group of people who have a responsibility and a love for you that they will listen f- to God for the times that you struggle to tune in. Maybe in Corinth they struggle with background noise. Maybe it's something that we experience. Secondly, selective hearing. Now, I have a puppy called Jack, who is a boxer. He's almost two years old. He was born on the 1st of April, which tells you everything you need to know about Jack. And we understand that dogs have brilliant hearing, and we know this is right for Jack, because if he's asleep three rooms away and I open a yogurt pot, he hears it. However, when we're out walking and he sees a squirrel, and he sets off in a direction, much to the amusement of everybody in our local vicinity, and no matter how much I scream, shout, stamp my feet, have a tantrum, he continues on the way he's going. Well, we read in the early part of Corinthians that many of the people in the Corinthian church had set off, just like Jack, in different directions, following this theology or this doctrine. Some of them were engaging in practice and living their life in a way that God would never intend. But sometimes when we do that, it can be very hard to hear something that you don't want to hear that maybe tells you that you've headed off in the wrong direction. 
Or what we do is we hear things and we turn it and we twist it around so it fits to justify what we're doing rather than brings that correction of course and helps us. At those times we need other people to hear God on our behalf. Sometimes we develop selective hearing. And finally, collective vision. There were a group of people based in Corinth because God had a plan and a purpose for them to reach out to those people around them. And we have been placed here as a group of people in Salford to reach the community. And we need to hear God's word to us. So as a, the body of Christ, we can flex and we can shape and we can adjust and change our directions in order to meet the needs of the community around us. It's important that we listen out and tune into God on behalf of those he's placed us with. And so really, the main question of all of that leads to, why wasn't it happening in the Corinthian church? Or maybe why wasn't it happening as much as Paul felt it needed to? Well, like all churches, it was made up of people. And we've said it was a real mixed bag from here, there, and everywhere. Backgrounds, religion, whole different groups of people worshipping and fellowshipping together. For some, they would have had a... They would have been Jewish and they would have had that background of understanding what it meant to follow Yahweh. They had the traditions and their culture. They would have understood the Torah. They would have understood the history. And for some people there that had been from the Jewish faith, they would understand that historically God had appointed prophets who would listen to what God was saying, tune in on behalf of the nation and share it to the people. It would be very easy for them to say, well, that's not my job. God gives that job to someone else. If you were part of the, the rank and file, you would never have gone into the Holy of Holies. That's what the priest did once a year. He went in and he would commune with God and come back and tell you what God had to say. But we know that when Jesus said, it is finished, that veil in the temple was torn in two, giving everybody access to the very presence of God. And so it would have been easy for some of them to say, I'll leave it to other people. It's not my job. God, God's got a select few that do that. He's got the leaders or he's got the people that do that. It's not my job. I'll just leave it to those other people. And then there were the people at the other end of the scale, the Gentiles who didn't have the history, who didn't know the Torah, who weren't schooled in the, the history and the customs, and in some cases were made to feel second-class citizens in the church, that they got in through the back door, that they didn't have all this culture and all this historical knowledge. And it would be very easy for them to not even think that God would use them because maybe they didn't know enough. Maybe they didn't have everything they needed and, and God would use them and God would speak through them. But when they learned a bit more or when they became more like this person or that person, as well as different backgrounds and uh, nationalities, there were also different social structures and social classes. We know that in, in, in Corinth, we think there's around 250,000 free people in the city and about 400,000 people that would have been classed as slaves or owned, which is hard for us to comprehend in this day and age. But there's every possibility that those people would have been worshipping together in the church at Corinth, master and slave. In the rest of society, there was no equality between those groups of people. There was a very clear structure as to who could speak and who wouldn't. And so if you find yourself in the church there, maybe you would think, it's not my place to say it. Maybe if I speak out, I'm going to end up saying something wrong, saying the wrong thing. Maybe it was for one of those reasons or all of those reasons. 
that Paul feels he needs to encourage them to step out in faith more, in prophecy and sharing what God has to say. They all had the reasons why they couldn't do it. They all had their objections. They all had the hang-ups, the baggage that came with them. But the interesting thing is Paul knows who he's writing to. Paul in, knows who he's writing to. He knew because he says earlier in, in Corinthians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. He knew who he was writing to when he says that the parts of the body all have equal concern. They all have equal priority. They all have a right to speak. Paul knew who he was talking to when he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Paul understood their objections. He understood the reservations. He understood their fears. But he says there is no barrier to you hearing what God has to say and speaking out for those around you. In fact, it's essential. It's a necessity. Paul, when he talks about tuning in on behalf of others, he makes it clear that they're one body. They've been placed along each, alongside each other for a specific purpose to support one another, to build one another up, and that there's a dependence on each other. More than that, he tells them that there's actually a, a love that needs to be displayed between them towards one another, a deep love and a concern. And out of all that, Paul encouraged them to speak out and share God's now word for those people around them. And so the, the question is, where does Paul's letter leave me and you today? Paul's letter to the Corinthians is both challenging and an encouragement. It's encouraging because it tells us that God does want to talk, that God does want to speak, that God has got things to say about your life and, and interject into the situations and circumstances that you're facing. It's encouraging because it tells me that the times when the background noise in my life is so loud and I've placed myself in a position that it's so difficult for me to hear what God is saying, he's put people around me who have got my back and will listen on my behalf and share what God has. It's encouraging to know that God has placed us specifically in the places that he's placed us. But it's also a challenge because the challenge is, if I want 120 people to hear this morning to be listening out on behalf to God on my behalf, then I have a duty of care to do that for you as well. It tells us that whatever our history or our background or our concerns or our objections, Paul makes it clear that there is no barrier for you listening to what God has to say. But sometimes we get so caught up with, other people will do it. That's the person that prophesies. God's given us leaders in the church and they'll do that. And it's very easy for us to make our own traditions of who speaks, who stands at the front. Make our own traditions of who listens out for God and gives us instruction and guidance and encouragement. Paul goes on later in Corinthians, in, in that chapter 14, to lay out a sort of brief and easy framework for them to ensure that everybody got a chance to speak and to ensure, more importantly, that everybody got heard. And just like many churches, we have the same thing here. We have a desire to hear what God has to say to us. And so very often at the start of the service, we'll say, if you're watching online in real time, if God says something to you, if you feel a stir and God lays something on your heart, then text it to us. It's not just because we want to know that there's people out there, but we want to hear what God has to say through you. And so if you're online, then you can text Neil and we can read out what God is saying. And if you're in the building with us, 
Sometimes it's even more challenging because what we ask is that you come to the front. We want to give you a microphone so that people can hear what's been said. And it's not lost on us that for some people, that is a massive step of faith. It's a massive risk. But when you come, you can come to Neil, who's normally at the front, and there's a microphone there. And you can take the opportunity to say to Neil, this is what I think God's saying. Is, there a, you know, is, is that okay? So that when you stand up, you can share with confidence. What so often happens, and we've all been there, I'm sure, where you feel God is saying something to you, something that will be of benefit, that will be an encouragement, that something that will strengthen or comfort those around. And it's so easy to stand there, isn't it, and think, well, if God really wants to say it, he'll tell Neil or Ian or someone else to stand up. Or I'm not really sure if I can cross all the T's or dot all the I's. Or what if I say the wrong thing? And we stall and stall and then... We go into communion or someone preaches and the moment's gone. And there's kind of that element of, oh, that's all right then. It's gone. But you know, what's been lost in that moment is maybe the word that someone who is desperately struggling to hear what God is saying, maybe that's the word that throws them a lifeline. Maybe it's the word that just helps nudge someone back on course and out of the rut they're in. Let's not miss those moments. What Paul's letter does for us, it tells us that Tuning in to God on behalf of others isn't just a nice added extra, but it's essential to our growth and our development as the body of Christ. Thank you for listening. Let's just pray together. Father God, we thank you that you're not an absent father, but you want to be involved in our lives. Lord, and you want to speak to us and want you want to share your heart with us. Father, I pray that we would come as we meet together. We'd come with, Father, a heart to listen to what you have to say, that we'd be prepared to make ourselves available, Father, that you would use us and that you would speak, that you would give us a, comf- a confidence and a courage and a boldness to speak out so that we can strengthen and encourage and comfort those that you've placed us alongside. Amen. Thank you.